Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming to the event today. Uh, we're going to get started in just about five minutes. So uh, please, you can take your food into the room. Uh, just ask you to please uh, take a seat and, uh, and get all settled in. Thank you. Hi, everyone. We're going to be getting started shortly, so uh, please make your way into the room and grab a seat. Thank you.
Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Very excited to see you here. My name is Yelena Nimoy, and I'm a senior program manager here at the Aspen Institute Forum for Community Solutions and Opportunity Youth, sorry, Opportunity Youth Forum. Um, the Aspen Institute Forum for Community Solutions promotes collaborative, community-based efforts to build the power and influence of those with the least access to opportunity. We support communities to come together to expand mobility, eliminate barriers, and create their own solutions to their most pressing challenges. The Opportunity Youth Forum was launched in 2012 to leverage the momentum of, at that time, emerging Opportunity Youth Movement. And Opportunity Youth, for those who don't know, are young people between the ages of 16 through 24 who are not in school or working. When we were launched in 2012, there were 6.7 million Opportunity Youth, and there are 4.5 million today. So there has been a drop, but this number is still much too high. And most critically, racial disparities persist with young people of color experiencing disconnection from school at work at higher rates than their white peers. So for us, at the most fundamental level, our work is about equity and justice. And um, since our launch, we have grown to a network of 27 urban, rural, and tribal communities. And they really range across the country and they're putting in place innovative pathways that achieve better outcomes in education and employment for opportunity youth. And they do this by bringing together stakeholders and systems from cross-sector collaboratives 
and really all the systems and sectors that you can think about when you think about who, who are the systems that are touching the lives of opportunity use. So community-based organizations, post-secondary institutions, government agencies, employers, philanthropic leaders, and really critically for us, young people themselves. So we, from the beginning of, of launch of our program, have been committed to youth leadership and centering young people's solutions because young people are the ones who are most affected by this issue. So when um, in 2017 we started hearing from young people that they were really interested in entrepreneurship as an opportunity and a pathway for them, we knew we had to act. And with the support with the Charles Stewart Mott Foundation, we were able to launch Youth Entrepreneurship Fund in three communities in order to really test what does it look like when you're putting in place collaborative pathways into entrepreneurship for opportunity youth in order to explore this as really a way and a path to self-determination economically for young people. So we, um, at the time, were really excited to partner with Economic Opportunities Program and the Business Ownership Initiative because they have such deep, deep expertise in this field. And we've partnered together to create a community of practice among our grantees and also document what they're learning in the process. So before we begin, I want to really thank uh, the Business Ownership Initiative for your partnership and being wonderful colleagues. I wanted to thank the communities for being here and sharing their work. And I wanted to thank the Mott Foundation again for making this all possible. And so before we begin, just a quick housekeeping note. Um, we're going to have a panel with practitioners from the three communities. And then we're going to have a conversation with a young entrepreneur who's been through one of those programs and who is a small business owner. And uh, we promise you know, that please hold your questions until the end. And we really promise that we will have plenty of time for you to interact with the speakers. Um, and just one last reminder is please silence your phone, but also don't forget to tweet. Our hashtag is Opportunity Youth. So thank you again for being with us today. And I will turn it over to my colleague, Joyce Klein. Well, I'd like to add my welcome to the Aspen Institute to Yelena's. Uh, I'm Joyce Klein. Um, I'm with our Economic Opportunities Program here, so we're a colleague program of the, of the forum here at the Institute. Um, and the work that we do is really centered on advancing promising po programs, policies, and strategies to help low and moderate income folks in the US to connect to and thrive in our economy. Um, and as we do that, we understand that in the US, Access to opportunity is deeply connected to issues of race, place, and gender. Um, and so as we think about and do that work, we're really looking to advance inclusive strategies and approaches to opportunity. And to do that, like the forum, very much thinking about issues of justice and equity uh, in the work that we do. Um, and the way we do that work is in a couple different ways. We, we're a little bit different than how the forum does it, but about complementary in many ways. Um, one thing we do is we do applied research. Um, so we work with folks who are working to implement some of those ideas and strategies on the ground um, and help them learn what's working and why it's working um, so we can share that information with others. Um, we also do a lot of leadership development, we, again, met often with folks who are doing this work in communities to support their ability to innovate and to grow the work that we do. Uh, and we do roundtables and public events like this so we can share what's working in communities and what needs to happen um, as we think about some of these strategies with folks like policymakers and funders and advocates and others um, who are interested in also solving this, solving this problem uh, of, of economic opportunity in the US. So um, within, the, um, within the Economic Opportunities Program, I lead something called the Business Ownership Initiative, which is specifically focused on how to 
um, uh, expand economic opportunity through business ownership with a focus on low and moderate income individuals who are the folks who are most challenged to access resources to start and grow their businesses and, and realize their own entrepreneurial potential. Um, so we've been doing that work here at the Institute for about 25 years. We used to have a different name. We used to be called Field, um, but now we're the Business Ownership Initiative. But we've been doing that work for a long time, as I said, focused on low and, low and moderate income Amer uh, people in the US. Um, during that time, we've also done some sort of specific focused work on um, folks who have particular challenges. So we've do recently done a bunch of work looking at the particular issues faced by entrepreneurs of color. Um, we've done some work looking at the, uh, entrepreneurship for folks who've been involved in the justice system. Um, we've done some work on rural entrepreneurship. Um, and so when the Forum for Community Solutions approached us and said, we're really interested in understanding what this looks like for opportunity youth, we we're really excited to partner with them on that work. Because we have deep respect for their um, expertise and their knowledge of opportunity youth and what their strengths are and what the issues are that they confront as they try to access pathways into our economy. Um, we were really interested to connect to their network of community partners because we are deeply committed to working with folks who are doing work on the ground. So that was a, a great partnership for us and we've been really um, pleased with them to, to think about how we do this work. So. Um, I, the other thing that I wanted to just um, note, another thing I just wanted to say is that um, Yelena thanked the Mott Foundation, which has funded this work that we're doing. Um, I also want to thank the Mott Foundation. They've been a long supporter of our work at the Economic Opportunities Program at the Aspen Institute, and they've really been a leader in thinking about, for many, many years, thinking about how to open um, entrepreneurship to low and moderate income folks here in the U.S. Um, so uh, they've been a great champion in this work, and we really, we really appreciate this. Um, I'm going to think I'm going to go ahead and get us transitioned to the first panel. Um, one, of our, one of our speakers, I'm hoping she's here, one of our panelists, she's not. Something's going on with Uber. I think they think they know where this building is, but maybe they don't. So, um, but, but we're going to go ahead and get started on the conversation. And then when she comes in, she'll, she'll join us on the panel. So um, Ruth and Michelle, if you want to, want to join me up here, we'll get, we'll get started. And I'm going to do the jump. So Dornell is going to be here. Okay. Ruth, you're there. Okay. Michelle here. Okay. I think I've got that order right. So sorry, we've got the empty seat, but I don't. I think there's something with the mics that I can't move you near me. So I'm sorry about that. That I think we need to have. It's okay to move. Okay, come on then. <laughs> we'll let Dornell. Okay. It'll be easier for Dornella as well. Okay. Okay. So, the, so, so that she doesn't have to walk across in front of us. Thank you for bearing with us on the on the logistics, folks. Um, so, as Yelena said, today what we're going to do is talk about approaches for designing pathways into entrepreneurship for opportunity youth, um, and how practitioners who are involved in different ways in the entrepreneurial ecosystem can sort of partner to support the aspirations of opportunity youth as they think about entrepreneurship. Um, and so, the folks on the on the panel with me today are are some of those practitioners. One of the things I just wanted to say as context setting is, um, when we set out to do this work together, we took some time to look across sort of what's the landscape of what's happening in the entrepreneurship development field in the US. We had obviously knew something about that because we've been doing this work, but also just wanted to look at what are the connections already to opportunity youth. And what we, what we really saw is that there is an existing entrepreneurial e ecosystem. There's a whole field of youth entrepreneurship in, this US, in, in the US that works with usually school-age youth to try to bring them entrepreneurial skills and experiences. But that's largely school-based. So it's in-school programs, it's after-school programs, but it's tied to schools. And so if you're an opportunity youth and you're not connected to school, 
that's not that's not serving your or working with you and meeting your needs. And then similarly, there's a whole ecosystem around entrepreneurship, including for low and moderate income individuals that's emerged over the last 25 years. But it's largely geared towards adults, and and most most cases more towards what I would call older adults. Um, folks who are in their 30s and above. Because what we know in the US is at least when you think about formal entrepreneurship and self-employment, it happens for the most part as folks get older. After they've had some experience in the labor market, experience in the workforce, often what they're doing is turning that experience into a business. Um, and you're just less likely to do that until you've had some experience in the labor market. So what we see in the US is rates of formal sort of self-employment or business ownership start very low when you're young and they get, they get, um, they increase as folks get older. Um, and so much of the infrastructure is built around who those folks are uh, and what their needs are. And so that as well wasn't really built to serve opportunity youth. So the question for us is, and for the collaboratives was, how do we look at what's in there in our community and try to bring that to what we know are the special circumstances and needs and aspirations of opportunity youth who are, who are interested in doing this work. So that's what my colleagues and I are gonna, are gonna speak to. I'm, I'm gonna introduce them. Um, first to my far <laughs> right is Ruth Barajas. Um, Ruth is the Director of Workforce, Education, and Reentry for Bay Area Community Resources. They're based in San Francisco. Um, and then it's, I have Michelle Carrillo. Uh, Michelle is uh, the initiative director for Building Healthy Communities with the Del Norton Tribal Communities um, and Wind Rivers Community Foundation. So if you think about this, uh, Ruth is where is what most of us think of as Northern California. That's <laughs> <laughs> or LA. Yeah. Seven hours north. She's seven hours north. Um, oh, and perfect timing. Welcome, Dornella. We're just getting started with the panel. <laughs> I'm going to introduce you, but I'll ask you the first question last so you have a chance to settle in. Um, so this is Dornella Harvey, everyone. Dornella is the project manager for Year Round and the Philadelphia Youth Network. So these are our three collaborative partners who were doing this work, work through the, the Youth Entrepreneurship Fund. And what we wanted to start by asking them was to talk about um, why you were interested in um, incorporating entrepreneurship into the other work you were doing in communities to, to engage opportunity use and pathways. Um, and for each of you, you were really thinking about what the particular dynamics were of the economy in your region or your community as you sort of thought about what, was gonna, what you want to do. So I want you to touch on that. So Ruth, we're going to start with you. Um, and San Francisco, there's a lot happening in San Francisco in terms of what's happening in housing, what's happening with gentrification. People of color are moving out of the city in many cases. So talk to us about what's happening and why you thought entrepreneurship was something you wanted to focus on with Opportunity Youth. Yeah, thanks. So let me just say, and I'm probably pe preaching to the choir here, but entrepreneurship is such an incredible, like I just had to get that out of the way, like entrepreneurship is just an incredible, amazing tool, right? Um, it is. It can be used to really inspire hope in young people, right? It can help. We can help build an entrepreneurial mindset and transferable skills, right? And the list goes on. But in San Francisco, we are facing the worst gentrification ever. We, our wealth gap is growing, right? The evidence of that is we are down to a 5% African-American population. Five out of every 100 people living in San Francisco is black, no more than that. And that's absurd. So when we thought about the importance of building entrepreneurship, as an initiative or as an effort in the city, we thought it can't just be about building skills, that's important, 
but it has to be about how we inspire young people to build wealth. And I don't say that from like this capitalistic perspective, I'm far from that. <laughs> um, I say that because it's about access. That in a city that's as small as seven miles, you can be 16 years old and have zero access to social capital, to financial capital, and across the city, uh, there's another 16-year-old who comes from generational wealth who have all the access to social capital, to financial capital. They don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. They don't have to worry about leaving the city that raised them. So when we thought about entrepreneurship, we thought it has to be about how we really use entrepreneurship as a vehicle, a viable vehicle for economic mobility. And, I don't, and I'm not going to pretend like we know the answers, because we don't, right? <laughs> We've been, we're in second year. We're still figuring it out. We're still building partnerships and more partnerships. But we do know that if we want to keep youth and families, in, uh, especially youth and families of color in our city, we need, to do, we need to think differently about the local workforce system. Great. So thank you. So Michelle, you want to go next and tell us a little bit about you're in a rural community. You're also in a community that's doing this work with Opportunity Youth as part of a broader set of initiative around building healthy communities in places that have health inequities as well as mm -hmm. economic inequities. So talk to us about why entrepreneurship and how you think about entrepreneurship in your communities. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, to that point that uh, the economic mobility is, is directly linked to health. Like that is absolutely critical that young people have access to that social network and the capital that they need to be able to grow up in a community and stay in that community. Um, but why building healthy communities saw that opportunity youth was critical, um, one, looking at the general population of how many young people were disconnected from school and work, and in such a small community that that was absurd that's happening. Um, but then also to see the racial um, issues of it, of that are uh, Native American youth and Latino youth being pushed out at a much higher rate. And we have four federally recognized tribes in our county. Um, so we're working a lot with that, and that is a big issue in the community. But this really is about um, a mindset and investing in a mindset to be able to solve our own problems, and that the community needs to be empowered to do that. And there's three um, kind of frameworks that we're looking at. So one is that, you know, as a foundation, we need to be investing in lifting up people's ability to have their own agency to solve those problems, um, to be able to connect to those resources and have that sense of being able to make a change. And there's so much, um, so we're in year nine of a 10-year initiative. And in year one, when we talked to youth and listened and did these listening sessions, there was such a, a feeling of hopelessness and disconnection and that this place wasn't for them and survival was to leave, that they had to get out. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is that entrepreneurship is one of those ways in which we can inspire young people to be their own problem solvers, to say that they don't have to wait for a business to hire them. They could start doing things right now and trying different things. Um, and to that second piece, it's critical that our young people feel a sense of belonging and connection. So not only just saying, oh, here's the curriculum on how to create a business, but is there a connection of peers and people in the community that you should be tapped into? And how do we create programs and services that intentionally connect young people to people in power? and build those relationships in a healthy way so they understand the landscape that they're working in. Um, and third, that this really is about changing the odds of the entire community. And it's not just about creating one program or service. So yes, we've invested in, and through this pilot, we really were looking at how do we co-design a curriculum that's gonna work for our youth in our community. But at the same time, the broader initiative is pulling together systems and partners, um, government agencies and institutions to all say, what are we doing 
how are we responsible for this ecosystem of opportunities for young people, and that we need to build this with youth. This isn't something often our young, young leaders will say, you know, don't, don't build this without us. Like, we got to be right there at the heart of this. And so how do we equip them with the skills to do that and to be um, a resource in the community to really transform the health of the overall community? Terrific, thank you. So Dornella, tell us about Philadelphia and what's happening in the Philadelphia economy in terms of entrepreneurship and how you see this fitting. Yeah, um, I think that like these two lovely ladies pretty much summed it up um, for me in my city. Um, we kind of have a lot of the same successes and challenges. Um, but I think for the city of Philadelphia, like one of the biggest things or two of the biggest things is um, that has already been mentioned is connection and support. So like we try to connect with a lot of local business owners. We work with our city, um, our Department of Commerce to kind of like bring in local business owners to come and talk to our members and our youth um, in our programs about like, you know, the processes and the skills and the things that they need to know because you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of, you know, our youth who want to go out and, you know, like be their own boss and that's kind of like the the initial approach they want to be their own boss um and so they have to you know learn those skills and those attributes that they need in order to be successful and you know those skills are definitely transferable like what you know has already been mentioned um and they can go a long way um, and so I think for us, we just try to, you know, make those connections and give support to our members um, because regardless of, you know, where they start and where they end, we just want them to be successful regardless and to give that success to other individuals in their community. Um, so I feel like for us, we just kind of want to support our members and that's like why we really support entrepreneurship in our area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just one thing I want to draw out from what, what each of our um, uh, panelists have said, and that I think we found and summarized in the paper we put out from the early work that we did, which, by the way, there are some copies here. There's also links to the copies um, in the, um, uh, the agenda for folks on their chairs, uh, as well as bios for each of our, our panelists, which I neglected to mention. But I wanted to, what I wanted to point out is for what we saw is that very much entrepreneurship is partly about helping folks start businesses if they have those ideas, but really helping youth to, to generate a certain kind of a mindset and to build a set of skills which are very transferable to, um, to building community, to um, more traditional forms of employment as well as to, as to doing their own business. So let's talk a little bit about um, what you've built in terms of bringing together partners. So, because um, well, one of the things that distinguishes the approach of the Youth Entrepreneurship Fund is it's not a single program that we're that's, that folks are building. It's really a collaboration and trying to bring folks who are working with entrepreneurs to serve opportunity youth. So in each case, you've, you've started with partners and really worked with them to adapt to their needs. So Dornell, I was going to start with you. Um, so your organization runs the E3 Power Centers. Yes. And they're an alternative education program that um, serves opportunity youth. And you've partnered with the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, which is a national um, entrepreneurship education, youth entrepreneurship program, um, to really modify their program to fit with what you do in the power centers, which is different because it works with opportunity youth. So tell right. us, you know, what those adaptations were and why you made them. Yeah, so um, as you already mentioned, we are partnered with NIFTI. Um, and so NIFTI has a year-long curriculum that's structured, you know, to teach you all the basics of entrepreneurship. Um, we currently use Entrepreneurship One um, for their curriculum. However, we had to structure their curriculum for our center to be eight weeks. So it was kind of like a hybrid collaborative that we kind of like did um, within the first year and a half. 
And so now that we're, we've tried that process, we saw what worked and what didn't work, we plan to um, reconvene and come back to the drawing board. And we plan to use members from our centers to figure out you know, what worked for them when they were taking the class and like what really like stuck with them um, to try to redesign and make it more suitable for them. Because you know, although we like the NIFTY curriculum, our centers are, they're very fast paced, they're a lot different than other programs. So we try to make it so that way it's, suitable for the, our members. So we want to include them. We want their voice and how they want to learn and the experiences that help them and you know what they thought was you know successful and challenging and things like that. Like we want their voice in structuring that. So we um, plan to do like an info session within like the next two weeks um, with Nifty, with our youth, with our instructors, um, with the Department of Commerce, which is you know like our city um, in the city in Philadelphia, excuse me. Um, and then so just building more partnerships, you know, which um, has already been mentioned and just making things a lot more suitable for our members. So for us, I think we're just trying to like redesign things for our members and just learning from, you know, our previous cohorts. Great. And so Ruth, you've also partnered with NIFTY, Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. and work with them to tailor to the specific needs of opportunity youth in public housing. So talk to us about what that process was like and how you built it to work for. for yeah, so uh, let me say too that I, <laughs> when we applied, we actually, um, it's not to say that entrepreneurship didn't already exist in San Francisco, so let me say that because I think that's important to recognize folks who've been doing that work already. Um, but but it was either done for the most part in high schools, a lot of that work led by Nifty, um, and or it was done in for 18 and older, right? Mostly parents, older adults, right? And so when we when we built this out, we thought, where can we start this work that nobody else is doing it? And most times they don't do it because it feels a little too hard, if we're being honest. So we said we're going to start in public housing, and I don't mean. I don't mean young people who are living in public housing and then they go to school and we do it there. I mean literally in public housing. So when we partnered with Nifty, we were like, look, you guys are great. You do amazing work. You train the trainer. First of all, we want young people to be trained as the facilitators, not teachers. And they were on board with that. Second ask is that you that we, that we understand that we're modifying the curriculum to be anchored in public housing. Because the idea was we don't want to start it somewhere that feels what most folks would say easier, right? Um, and then say, oh, we'll eventually get there, which happens a lot in our community. We wanted to say, actually, first we're gonna start in public housing, and then when it's successful, and it will be, we're gonna expand out. That, that that can no longer be this isolated part of San Francisco that folks ignore. And so that's what we did. And, um, and, and when we designed it, we also wanted to think about what that continuum would look like. That it wasn't enough for us, again, thinking about the, you know, the, the context of San Francisco where families are being pushed out. Um, we wanted to inspire young people to say, yeah, this is, these, are, these are skills that you can learn and get employment, but these are also um, stepping stones if you wanted to, hey, here's a crazy idea, own a business in San Francisco, <laughs> own a home in San Francisco, build those assets. Um, and so we said, okay, if we're serious about that, um, we will start with training, right? And our training is, um, you'll probably hear a little bit more about it from our young leader who's going to be on stage shortly, but, you know, it's about two months, over 80 hours, youth facilitated. It's, again, nifty curriculum that we modified. Um, and then if young people are serious about moving forward, and they don't have to be. See, that's the thing. In a lot of workforce, 
in the, in the workforce world, we're like, well, that's the path you started on, you gotta stay on it, <laughs> right? But that's not how it has to be. You might start, I can't tell you how many young people who started entrepreneurship training and was like, this is hard, I don't wanna do this anymore, <laughs> right? Um, and that's okay because what it did is that one, it taught you what you didn't wanna do, and then two, it inspired, for the most part, inspired them to go back to pursue what it is that they do wanna do. I, you know what, I, I thought I wanted to cut hair, I thought I wanted to be a barber, but actually, I wanna just go and learn about like, I just need to worry about like budgets and stuff because I can't even keep myself in order, right? So now I'm gonna go back to school and I'm gonna do that, or I just wanna work, I actually just wanna cut the hair, I don't wanna actually own the business. Um, but then there were some young people that were saying, you know what, I actually want to do more. I want to be my, I want to be my own boss. How many of us have heard that, right? <laughs> I want to be my own boss. Um, and so then we partnered with Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center, again, an organization who has been doing this work in San Francisco. They really focus on incubation. Um, so they have a lot of resources and support to really help folks uh, start their own business. And then we, we partnered with Sky's the Limit, formerly known as Youth Business USA. And they are actually based out of Oakland, um, but they do, they have historically worked with the Tay population, 18 to 24, and they do mentoring and advising individually. So they have mentors and advisors across the country, so it's a lot of online platforms and, and whatnot. And I suggest that you go to their website and learn more about them. Um, and so now you're, now you're like this 19 year old, and I'm serious about starting a business. And I, now I have, I went through this intensive training. I have my business plan, right? Of course, it's not perfect. They need some work. Now I have this, this incubation partner. They're giving me more training. And on top of that, I get an advisor and a mentor, right? I'm really fully supported. But if we're talking about young people who are historically um, disengaged, that might not be enough. So we partnered with, with uh, organizations and collaboratives like Roadmap to Peace that, that targets the most gang and violence involved young people in San Francisco, Latinx youth in San Francisco. We partnered with Phoenix, which does similar work uh, targeting young people in public housing who have a, a number of barriers to, the, to employment. Uh, we, tar we, we partnered with Reset Justice Collaborative that only serves young people and young adults who have serious offensive or kind of what we call frequent flyers of the justice system because they all provided case management. They all provided the retention support that we needed, right? And, and so those were incredible partners too, not just the in entrepreneurship uh, folks that have been doing the work, but you know, folks that are really on the ground with you, making sure young people get to training, make sure they continue on with the program. Um, and now we're kind of thinking about how do we engage post-secondary education? City College of San Francisco just opened up an entrepreneurship and innovation center we want to take advantage of. We're getting uh, folks that you know are in their 20s that started a business, business owners of color, they're still building out their brand, but they're like, hey, I was them 10 years ago, how do I get involved? So partners also have to be the, the, the folks who look like the young people we're serving in these programs, who can come in and mentor as well. And of course, the most important partner are young people themselves in the training, because they have to be willing and wanting to move forward and they have to have a voice in the process. Thank you. That's a great picture of all the pieces that you're putting together in the, in the collaborative. So Michelle, um, you mentioned that you work with four tribal communities and you've done a lot of work as you've built that sort of curriculum piece to think about how to make that relevant and meaningful to, and particularly the, the youth, the tribal youth. So can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, yeah, so just to set a context, um, I like to say that I live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Um, she does, I've been there. <laughs> it's, the, redwood, the redwoods and the rivers meet the ocean, and that's where we are. And it is um, ancestrally a place of plenty. 
and richness and deep, deep roots to wisdom and culture and history. Um, but since white contact, that has been ripped away mm. and there's deep, deep historical trauma. Mm. So going into this, thinking about what was gonna be the approach, what was the way that we were going to walk into this work and make sure that we were um, being conscious of the cultural dynamics, what words we used, what images we used, was gonna be really important. So one of the tools that we had been um, testing out and using was human-centered design. And you know, although that does have its history from tech industry and that side, there is something that fits so well because it starts with people. It starts with meeting somebody where they're at, in their home, in their space, and understanding everything that they use, what, how do they walk in a day in the life, and to understand that for our young people and for the people we're trying to serve was incredibly important. So we had started with training up adults and some youth in human-centered design, and we've been doing it but focused on the social side of things. So we are tackling food insecurity, um, third grade reading rates, and big health issues, which we've seen a lot of progress and impact, and it's been really, really helpful. And the Yurok tribe right now is investing in a nation-building project using human-centered design to put their tribal members at the heart of the government, of how they work and are those services aligned around that. So there's been a lot of partnership and energy from the tribes to say, well, how do we do this but with youth? because they are a future, how do we train up young leaders to do this kind of work? And um, there was a, a year-long school-based curriculum that had been being tested. Um, and we said, well, that's not gonna work for opportunities. Again, we're not gonna be in schools. It can't be a year long. What are, what are some ways that we could do this? So we partnered up and we invited, um, we had Yurok and Talua um, caseworkers there and folks that are working with our young people as well as educators and a couple of our youth leaders and we co-designed the curriculum. So we went through the training and as we did it, we went through the whole thing and said, okay, well, what are the things that don't resonate? What doesn't work? Like, how would we retool this? What are local um, examples and things that we could be doing? And case in point, uh, they have these modalities of, this is the way you should like look at the world for this particular part of the project. And one example was to be a pioneer. Well, that's not gonna work uh, in our community. They don't wanna be pioneers. So they, they flipped it and said, okay, well, what are the ways that we could talk about this? What would be modalities that we think about? And um, one of the young people said, well, what about animals? Mm. So, you know, animals, that, that's our modalities, that's our spirit, that's, that's what we need to connect to. So instead of the pioneer who's navigating and charting the course to explore new worlds, it was the salmon, because the salmon knows its way home and it can chart the course on the river, right? Mm -hmm. So just beautiful stuff that came out by co-designing and opening it up and saying, what do we need at the start? We have to design this together. So now we're in year two. We've done um, two train the trainers um, with local partners, and it's being tested in a lot of different spaces. So that was the other thing we wanted to be able to adapt it. And that's really important. We didn't want to be rigid in this is a year-long school-based program. So we've done six-week ones. They're actually right now running one at the community college through the adult education program. Um, that's where we recruit a lot of kids from juvenile justice system involved. Um, we've got a lot of foster youth involved in the program, um, lots of Native youth, and they're, but they're on a college campus. And they've never been on a college campus. Um, so that's a huge piece for them to be getting that experience. They are actually college students while trying this. Um, but we're also trying it with uh, more camp-based type summer exposure and, and where the tribe is hosting the trainings and doing different things. So 
I would just say that that's a, a really important piece is to be willing to try things and learn and see what works and doesn't work. We've tried it in continuation schools too. And you know, some of the things have worked really well. We also have a lot of interest from middle school right now. Um, so we're looking at, you know, right now we're losing a lot of our young people eighth grade. They're not making it through middle school and then they drop out and they disconnect. They don't even get to high school. So are there opportunities to actually engage our older youth with those middle school age youth and do that same kind of mentorship, youth teaching youth about the innovation and how to change their community? Um, and I'll just say, you know, to close with this, again, like meeting people where they're at is so critical and important and it's that mindset and that skill set. And it, it taps in and thinking about each of your communities or what you're trying to do is just remembering that you really do need to meet people where they're at first. Terrific. So you started to get us into a little bit of what have you learned through this, um, through this year and a half. Um, I think it's more like a year and a half now that you all have been working, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, flying by. Okay. Yeah. Dornella, you want to talk a little bit to that? What, 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 do you, what have you learned? What have been the successes? What have been the challenges? Um, so some of the successes, um, definitely the partnerships, um, the support from the city, the, the su support from NIFTY. Um, we're branching out and working with um, Entrepreneur Works, who uh, is literally right next door to PYN. Um, and so we're just trying to cr create more connections um, and just get more people involved and support our youth um, in the field of entrepreneurship. And then also, um, which has also been uh, mentioned as well, youth voice. So with our, you know, our info session, we want like the youth to be there. We want them to like drive what they want the next year to look like, what the cohort should look like, what was successful and challenging for them, like how could they help. Um, and then, you know, also youth teaching youth, you know, I think that that would be a great idea to have our youth, you know, teach our um, new uh, cohort members in the, the field of entrepreneurship. Um, and so I think just having them involved is, is so important because when we come to the drawing board, you know, just as like, you know, PYN or Nifty, we kind of sometimes we don't look at the lens the way that the youth look at it when they're, you know, in the moment taking the course, you know, what are they thinking about? Like, what are their challenges? So I think that having them there is just like a very, very key um, in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And any challenges that you would point out for folks? Um, challenges is definitely timing. Timing, it's, you have to meet them where they are, you know, like has already been mentioned, um, because some people, they might be really, you know, ready to take off, and then some people, you know, might need more time, they might need time to study, you know, just to make more connections. Um, definitely um, meeting people where they are is, is, uh, was one of the challenges for us. Um, and I think that we're, we're, you know, continuously working on it, we're learning, um, and we're trying to, to develop, you know, new ways and new approaches um, for our new year in entrepreneurship. Great, Ruth? Challenges. Uh, and successes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my, mind goes, my mind goes straight to challenges. Um, I, think, I think we are just, in, in San Francisco, we're just really proud of the youth leadership piece. Mm -hmm. um, we really make sure that youth voice is, is central to everything. Um, let me take a second to also say that um, one of the things we've done recently, um, so we started with young people uh, transitioning into the facilitators of the curriculum, and then they would you know, challenge the staff and say, well, we need to, we need to change the curriculum. We need to add this. It was like, I remember like a couple of months ago, there was like two or three youth facilitators um, who, 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 who kind of quartered me and was like, well, we need to add this topic back to the curriculum. 
Remember that? Ooh, Mommy. <laughs> um, and, and, and that was, and that was that, I remember thinking and saying, like, this is ownership, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things we did, we did recently, um, and one of our young leaders, uh, and again, Mally's going to be on, our, on the panel later, and I encourage you all to ask Mally about this, is, um, has transitioned to not just be a facilitator, but to actually lead a summer internship of young entrepreneurs, where she's not only leading the training, but also taking them on field trips and different work experiences to really add context to the training. So they're getting paid an hourly wage to participate in all of this. Um, so I think that that is a huge step in the right direction. And so I'm really excited to see what else we can accomplish. I think that's a big success. Another success is, um, and we, we committed to doing this in year two and we have, is to expand our entrepreneurship slots beyond young people living in public housing to target two very specific populations. One being justice involved young people, because you know, there's a lot of data and a lot of reports that say that entrepreneurship is really one of the most uh, viable pathways for, for um, folks with justice histories, right? And um, third, or, or the second population that we are expanding out to is undocumented young people. There is so much opp opportunity for undocumented youth and their families as they become their own um, employers. They can develop co-ops. We're still learning about all of this. Um, I'm seeing some head nods, so I'm, I'm assuming some of you all are following some of this um, that's happening throughout the country. Um, so those, so this expansion to newer populations was was something that we really wanted to do in year two, and we're really excited to be doing that. I would say those are some successes. Challenge for us, honestly, our biggest challenge has been about how do you make the course corrections as fast as possible, right? Um, not just in curriculum, curriculum, but in program design, in terms of how we engage and recruit and retain young people. I mentioned earlier, we have case managers, but communication is critical. If our, if our young adult facilitator notices a behavior issue with a young person or an attendance pattern, and that doesn't get communicated to that person's case manager, we, in, that, in, in, in a matter of like a day or two, that young person will be disengaged. Mm -hmm. So we need to move quickly if we are really going to do our best to keep young people engaged and retained in, in programming. And, and really, we, we have to, right? I, I think a lot of times we think about these kinds of, uh, of programs and we think, well, you know what? They're disengaged. They really don't want to be here. That's not true. Life gets in the way. Mm -hmm. Life gets in the way. And so a real youth-centered model means that we have interventions in place to catch young people as they fall and to bring them back to that center. Thank you. Michelle? Yeah, just echoing off of uh, the deep need and uh, not always being able to address it is definitely a challenge. And, and being able to adapt and figure out ways that we can um, and be responsive in the moment, um, it's huge. Um, so success, uh, the engagement side of things, we are finding really creative ways to get different engagement. And one has been with our system-involved youth. Um, actually through a partnership with probation and the judge um, was where we were able to actually get straight referrals into the Youth Training Academy, um, which is where one of the, the entrepreneurship pathways being delivered. Um, so setting up those system-to-system -system kind of agreements um, and getting that stuff ahead of time has been huge to make sure that we have access to young people and get them engaged in something positive. And what we're seeing is that once they're engaged in that, um, 
we're seeing them get out of that system much quicker and be then engaged in the community college system to more positive, mm -hmm. um, a positive path. And the other thing that um, is really exciting is starting to see the community vision that's building. Mm. Um, so it's been very fragmented and kind of little pieces here and there of people doing entrepreneurship or they'll hold a little uh, a community summit on it or there might be somebody who runs a little a camp. But the actual vision behind it and getting um, the institutions to really step up and own that this is something that they are responsible for helping support and build. Um, while I was also seeing the thirst and energy come from our young people to really have that vision and say, yeah, we can push and we can say that this is important and as a community, we should be investing in this. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that um, getting to a level where testing and trying things and learning from our failures is acceptable. Mm -hmm. Because that's something we're teaching that's our young right. people, but in our community, in the, the, the nonprofit sector, in education, and all of these is like, oh, you failed, you messed up, you're done, that program's not coming back. It's like, yeah. no, <laughs> we can't do that. And so that's really been uh, a huge area of focus for us. And I would say more and more of our partners are getting to, to be open and transparent about what's working or not. And hey, this communication line didn't work with that caseworker. How do we, you know, what other way can we do a workaround? What kind of things do we need to set up ahead of time to be more successful and make sure our young people are successful? Um, and I would say another challenge, uh, and this is across workforce in general and engaging young people in workforce, uh, addressing trauma and creating spaces for healing. Yeah. It, it's not just going to be through a caseworker. It's not going to be you know just connecting to one resource. It's a whole network of supports and building a, a system that builds resiliency of our young people and really does address that trauma because that trauma doesn't go away. They're always going to live with it. But how do we help create mm -hmm. a community where it's okay to have that trauma and how do you respond to it? What are the supports around you to get through that and to keep walking forward? Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, I'll say, you know, being in a rural community, um, access to mental health is a big gap for us. And, and when I say access to mental health, I mean the actual providers, like keeping doctors and providers in our community is critical. And that's, we have a whole other pathway just dedicated to growing our own health workforce right now because it, we have to have that long-term vision. Um, but the access to capital is the other one for young people. Mm -hmm. That is, we have a lot of, of teenagers that want to, you know, get loans and figure out how to how to do things. So looking at creative ways, that's an area we haven't cracked that fully yet on how to do it. Um, and I know, you know, you guys have some really great examples of how you're doing it, but I would just say I've seen that trend of how do we really make this um, where people can really get that access to funding. Mm -hmm. Ruth, do you want to share what you've done on that front? Sure. Um, well, San Francisco is really unique in that it has a children and youth fund um, that is, I will say, this is like the one benefit of the gentrification that I was just <laughs> uh, saying is terrible. Um, it's actually made up of property tax. And so it is about uh, uh, somewhere around, I could be wrong, somewhere around 80 to $100 million a year that is spent on children and youth funds. And as part of the legislation that makes that happen, 3% of those dollars have to be spent on youth-initiated projects, which could include entrepreneurship. And so we actually are, um, as part of that 3% run and a youth, uh, a youth 
philanthropy program where young people, teenagers, are actually giving grants to other young people so that they can do social change projects in their communities, um, front, you know, from front to back, start to end. Um, young people are are making those decisions and doing and implementing those projects. And so this year, what we did is we added that young people can apply for those same dollars as entrepreneurs. And so we put a set aside of twenty thousand dollars that young people can apply for. And I say apply intentionally, I don't say compete. Um, because when we started this effort, we thought we did not want to do the shark tank model. We did not want to do competition. Young people are in competition all the time, especially when you think about survival. They should not be in competition with each other, um, personal opinion. Um, I think young people agreed with that. And um, we decided that, you, that young people should be able to apply and that they should be able to get something. How much that is will vary based on where they are in their business plan. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what you see. So you've talked about you've been working on this for a while and, and where you are now. But what's the long-term vision for you in terms of how you think about this entrepreneurship pathway and the work you're trying to do in the community? Michelle, do you want to go Sure. First? So I talked a little bit about this. Yeah. But making sure that the systems and partners that do have access to resources in the community, that they are on the hook and fully committed to investing in entrepreneurship pathways um, is, is definitely our long-term vision. There are um, a lot of institutions, often in our community people say, we don't have access to money. Oh, we don't have money, we don't have money. But then when you actually look at the kinds of money that's reimbursable, for example, the community college system, for years we were, they were like, well, you can use our campus, but we were trying to figure out how to pay instructors. We were trying to pick, figure out how to pay youth. We were trying to do all through grant funding. And then all of a sudden, through a conversation, realized, oh, wait, they have the adult education program. And that's refundable federal dollars that will pay the instructors, pay the youth seat time, and it's money that comes into our community that wouldn't come into our community otherwise. So that was one piece where I was like, OK, we need to look at more of these systems. And how are we leveraging those opportunities mm -hmm. to really set this up as um, a strong infrastructure um, at multiple places, right? not just one, one institution. Um, I would say also that really shifting to um, right now in the work, I think a lot of times youth are consulted and they are asked for what's your experience and then it's like to inform program design or different things, but they're not as often engaged to be the actual designers. Mm -hmm. And so really shifting the energy to say that youth need to be at the heart of designing these future solutions mm -hmm. um, and to be at that table working that through. So that's really where we're trying to focus and build up a cohort of young people that can be right there with our electeds and policymakers pushing for, well, here's how we would design this. This is what this looks like and have the same tools that we're giving to the government and institutions. Terrific. Dornella, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Long -term so vision. our long-term vision um, is, I would say three things, support, resources, and grow. Um, <laughs> we definitely want to provide all the support that we can to our young people um, that they feel confident, you know, I like brought up a good point um, about the competitions. That's something that, you know, we initially went in the first year of programming, we did the competitions and it did not work out. It wasn't successful for us. That was a challenge. Um, and, you know, we did a convening recently back in April in Philadelphia and Ruth had brought it up about the competitions and that they didn't, they didn't do it um, in San Francisco. So that was something that we kind of like 
took back to the drawing board. We talked to our youth about it and they kind of had the same feeling, you know? Um, and so just providing as much support as possible, giving them the resources, letting them know that, you know, that there are other, you know, entrepreneurs out there in their community, you know, um, that they can go and ask questions and learn from. Um, and then just helping to grow just entrepreneurship as a whole within the uh, city of Philadelphia. Um, and just, you know, allowing young people to have the voice, you know, again, in all of that. Um, and I think that having them there is just a key factor um, in how we can be successful in the future. Um, it's it's very, like, it can't be one-sided, you know. Great. Thank you. Ruth? Yeah, so two things. I would say um, that entrepreneurship res is respected at large. Uh, two things come to mind about that. One being that... Uh, you know, I think we when we see <laughs> the first thing I often hear when I talk to people about about youth entrepreneurship, they think, oh, well, the youth are going to start a business. The failure rate is like they just immediately go to like the failure rate is terrible. And then when you add young people to it, it's even worse. And I think they're also thinking about it from a perspective of like we don't want young people to keep failing, right? Like we just want to hold them. And and I hear that. Um, and so I think part of how we respect the field is by respecting that it's okay to fail, that there's learning in failure. It's how we facilitate that experience for young people. Um, I also think that there is so many ways in which entrepreneurship can really advance all the growth sectors of all of our respective communities. Um, and I don't have a roadmap for that, but I've seen in various parts of the country where um, young people, for example, can, can like they, they, they don't really want to work for a tech company, but they're really good at technology and they want to start their own app. That is marrying those. That's marrying entrepreneurship and technology. Um, and then the other th long-term kind of goal we have is again that entrepreneurship serves as a vehicle for economic mobility. That that we figure out, and we're working to build a stakeholder table just focused on youth entrepreneurship because San Francisco is a wealthy city. As I mentioned, there's a there's a wealth gap to be sure, but it generates a lot of income. It is a good place if you wanted to go and start a business. Right? There's a lot of tax breaks and seed money. There's a lot of opportunity for you to start a business and hopefully it works. If it doesn't, that's okay, you start the next one. Um, so, so building a table that replicates that, but for younger folks, even as young as teenagers. And so working to build a table that really um, brings those stakeholders together. I know that that's a, a really long-term vision, um, but we know that, again, as I said earlier, if we want to keep folks of color, low-income, working-class folks um, in the city, then we need to, to bring folks to the table and figure it out. Terrific. So we're going to do one lightning round, and then we're going to transition to our next conversation. Um, but the lightning round is just quickly thinking about who's in the room today. And we know from the, we ask you to tell us what organization you're with. So we have a, a sense of folks are in the room, clearly some young folks. Um, I know we have some entrepreneurs in the room, but we also have some folks from educational institutions, folks from city government, um, folks who are uh, other parts of the policy landscape. What's uh, one piece of advice you would give to them um, if they're thinking about how to do this kind of entrepreneurship pathway work for opportunity youth in, in their community or, or try to do something around it nationally even. Michelle, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, well, if you're really trying to invest and support entrepreneurship, then I would say enter in this with an entrepreneurial mindset yourself. <laughs> be open to failure. Be open to trying things. Meet people where they're at and really focus on what does that, listen to what the community needs. Um, I'm speaking from being working for a foundation. You can get wrapped up in right your own outcomes and things you want to achieve. 
But at the end of the day, you're not going to get there unless you start with community first um, and really embrace that entrepreneurial, innovative mindset. Mine was so similar, so I'm not going to repeat it. Um, I mean, literally, uh, like in quotes, I wrote it down. So I'll show you later. Um, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot. Um, I think narrative shifting. So oftentimes we see young people as victims or as criminal. I mean, that's the two most common. We need, if this is to work, if entrepreneurship is to work, we need to shift our thinking to see young people as powerful, as skilled, as worthwhile, worth your time, your energy, your resources. We need to shift the way that we see and the way we engage with young people. When we shift our orientation to young people, orient their orientation to themselves also shifts. That needs to be a, con a, a, a complete culture shift. Yeah, so my response is very similar. Um, I would just say to be as transparent as possible. Um, you know, life happens, uh, things come up, and you want to meet people where they are, like has already been mentioned. Um, you want to give support. You want to be, you know, provide as much success to people as possible. So I just to say be as transparent as possible, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks to all of you. Um, thanks for sharing. It's been, it's been a real pleasure for us to follow your, your journey and your work and learn from it. And I'm glad we got a chance to share it with this audience. So we're going to take a break just very, very briefly and just switch around who's on the stage. Thank you. So we're going to go ahead and get started in our second conversation. So if you're still chatting, we're just going to ask you to please sit down um, and hold the conversation until the end of the panel. Um, so the previous panel had a conversation about youth leadership and the importance of centering young people, right? Centering their solutions and really involving young people in the design of the work. Um, that is all intentional. This is one of the core values of the Aspen Forum. Um, we've always started with community first, and we've always started with the idea that young people, as Ruth said, are to be valued. Their power is to be built up. And so, you know, when we um, had the RFP out um, and invited communities to apply, we really intentionally asked them to think about how they're going to center young people in the design. And we really expected to see that, a very substantive engagement of young people. We didn't necessarily expect to see, and we should have, was the kind of leadership growth of young people who participated in the program. And we've heard from all three communities that said, you know, young people are going through the program and they're taking in those leadership roles. They want to do community organizing. So this conversation, we're going to try to dig in a little bit into that. And so I have with me Mally Linton. She is a young adult entrepreneur from San Francisco. She is also a youth leader in the program. Her bio is also in your packet. And so I will start with the same question we asked the previous panel, but your perspective is a little different. Why entrepreneurship? 
why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And then why did you decide that this program was how you wanted to make that happen? Um, I don't know if like entrepreneurship was just like, I had recently had got let go from a job that I really like enjoyed working at. And it kind of like, it seen, I seen how it like controlled uh, my, my income basically. And Dorian, he's not here today, but he had introduced me like, he was like, hey, we about to have an entrepreneurship cohort going on. It's our very first one. And uh, if you're interested in starting your own business, join it. And I was like, okay, I see, that sounds dope. Um, and I joined it and it was actually like one of the best decisions that I ever made for myself, uh, period. First of all, seeing that um, I don't have anybody in my, I didn't have anybody in my family that I can ask about business or like starting my own business or what does it take for me to start my own business? Where do I go? How do I do it? And um, so being a part of one of these programs that actually shows me like, okay, you have to, you have to learn how to create a business plan. Okay, you gotta have a business plan. Um, the mindset, um, just learning all of the things that you have to do in order to, keep, to get the business started. So yeah, it was just I've seen your business plan. Can you, and you started talking about my next question. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what that experience has been like in the program and maybe what has been just really exciting and maybe something that you were like, oh, I don't know about that. That's a little challenging. Uh, everything was exciting and challenging mm -hmm. um, at the same time. I'm already like super motivated and um, I already had the idea of what I wanted to do just because I've been doing like music and production for so long. So like, okay, might as well start like a production team and um, actually work with a videographer. So I was like, okay, we can put something together. And um, we did that, but the most challenging part was the financials, um, which I feel like needs to be pushed more when teaching entrepreneurship. And I feel like it's not really spoken about, um, which is like the most, I feel like it's the most important, the thing that holds it together the most, because if you don't know how to control your income, uh, you can't even control like the checks that you're getting from your regular job. How are you going to control the income that you're getting from your business? So um, seeing like the different ways I had to budget my money uh, for like products, um, um, insurance, and other things like that that I had to do for my business, it was just like wow, like it's a lot. It's a lot more that goes into it besides just being your own boss. And I feel like um, even now when teaching entrepreneurship and asking these youth like why do they want to become entrepreneurs, it's like to be my own boss. I want to I want to control things, and that's even what I said when I first joined the. When I first joined the program, and it was just like it's so much more, so much more to it than what people are thinking it is, or even what I thought it was. So um, yeah, I feel like um, financials was like the most challenging. So did that change how you just in everyday life? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Even with like working, because I still have to keep my job in order to keep my business uh, going on too at the same time. So it's like I learned that I don't have play money. Like at all. So I feel like, especially when, mm -hmm. I feel like period, like when you're coming from low income, you don't have play money, period. So it's like, whatever you get is what you have to use in order to work for, like in, in order to work for your business. And you can't, you can't just play around with it. Like I said, it's like, it's no, no such thing as play money coming from low income. So I had to treat it as that. Treat it as so. What else did you learn? So skills or just maybe orientation, like you just talked about the financials. Are there other things that you feel like going through the program has maybe you know changed your outlook or changed the skills that you have that you bring to a business, to your workforce experience? Mm. 
Not really. I kind of already like spoke about it. Okay. I feel like the the most thing like the mindset and financials. Okay. I feel like financials need to be pushed. I feel like you need to learn financial literacy before you even start learning how to uh, create a business. This right. period. So I feel like before you even push entrepreneurship, people need to be taught how to handle like their money, especially as youth. Like you feel like, oh, I got a check. Are right, we about to go out? We about to go party? We about to go buy some outfits? You about to do that? <laughs> you can't do that, especially when starting your business. Not you. Yeah, everything that you get, you put back into it, or else it's not gonna grow. Right. So, and having like the growth mindset for it. So, yeah. And maybe um, after when we open for questions, you can ask Ruth a question because I think you are working with a financial education company, my path a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, they are in San Francisco, so that that's definitely something that we've been thinking about as well. Is how are young people actually learning that and how to control your money and budget and have that financial literacy. So we talked a lot about youth leadership, and Ruth talked a lot about how you personally have grown as a leader and the things that you've participated in and the things that you're now leading. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of leadership journey? Did you join the program thinking those are the skills I'm going to gain, or was there something particular that inspired you in terms of the opportunities you received to really step up into that role? Um, when I first started the program, it was just really getting an idea of what what do I have to do in order to, to uh, basically start my business? Um, I didn't really see myself uh, becoming a facilitator or anything like that. Um, the way that came up, the way that came about, is just like seeing how how important it was, how important uh, entrepreneurship was just in general. I see it like as like a generational thing. So it's like just how I was telling y'all, like I grew up not really having the insights on what it was to start a business. I have a little sister that looks up to me. So when she grows up and maybe, maybe not, wants to learn how to start her own business, okay, she has somebody to come to and um, get that help and support on building her own business. So when I started working, um, I started working just because of that. So I can also like keep that knowledge under my belt and also teach other youth like, okay, this is a big opportunity for yourself, not only for yourself, but for the people that look up to you also. So it was just like, it was just really like more generational when I was looking at it. It was like, it doesn't, I, I could be the person that like breaks that. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know if right. I get it, but yeah. That's great. So I know you're a business owner, you're wearing your label. Can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Okay. Um, so I first was involved with music in like the fifth grade. I was writing, writing songs. Um, I don't know what I was talking about, but I was <laughs> I was writing and I was singing, um, and in about like the sixth grade, me and like a couple of my friends from around the block, we had started up uh, like a little a little group I guess like a little mm -hmm. rap group. It was like four or five of us, and we called this uh, the Kids Life. It was basically just speaking about stuff that we was going with at home, and you know just a little bit of everything that we was doing as kids. Uh, again, I can't remember because we was talking about anything. It was just random. Um, and then from there on, um, I was still doing music. I was still like super very important. I mean, it was super, it was uh, very important to me, so I just kept on going with it. And um, I had ended up getting into some trouble. And when I had got out, I was just like, okay, I don't want to be involved with that no more. And I had got introduced to a Sunset Youth Service Studio, and um, it was basically a youth studio in San Francisco. And they have like free studio time for youth. And um, I would go there every day after school and just write 
and record. It was actually the first place where I was able to record myself, record any of my songs. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this is dope. Like, you come in, it's like big, big audio engineering board. I'm like, I don't know what none of this look, what is what this do, but it's lights and everything's look dope. Like, so I just like I started learning everything. I felt like it was super important for me to learn how to do everything that I was involved in. So it went from me writing music to actually recording myself, learning how to engineer and everything like that. And then from me recording myself, okay, he can make me sound good, but how can I make myself sound like how I want myself to sound like? So I started getting into mixing and um, mastering, of course, is like important for it too. I don't know if anybody in here is involved in music, but mastering is just like the, the icing on the cake to make you sound great. You can sound horrible and you put mix and master on it, you sound like a goddess. <laughs> and, um, I learned that and I was just like, oh, okay, I'm feeling it. And um, I was just introduced to a lot of other artists that was involved in there. There'd be a whole bunch of people all around San Francisco, even from Oakland coming to the studio. And um, I got involved with a lot of artists and I just, I, I stayed there like every day just to learn and like uh, just be the best at that craft. And from there on, um, me and my cousin, who actually is a videographer, um, we had just formed together and we had grabbed like a couple of other people from our team who was also like photographers and um, um, people who else help us look for other talent and scout for other talent and things like that. And then the clothing line really just came after I had gotten to the entrepreneurship because I was doing shows and I was performing and things like that. And we wanted a, a way to basically brand ourselves and get other people involved in the family that we was building within ourselves. So um, just from there, we just created Royal Souls. And I don't know, it was just like a, it was just like a higher feeling when we was all together and we was like in the studio recording like nothing else mattered, it was just like a higher feeling. And we just always seen ourselves as like, I don't know how to explain it, it was just like royalty. So, world souls, world souls, that's just where we came about from that. And I got it tatted, so it was just like, oh, it's forever. <laughs> so, that's what it is. So, you know, arts is a hard business to be in, right? Definitely. And, and fashion. Definitely. Can you talk about how, you know, what's that been like? Just going through the program, being a business owner, how are you connecting all of what you're learning in personally, you know, through the program, when you're working in your business, when you're performing, because you have such all-around experience around entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm crazy sometimes, I ain't gonna lie. Because it's like, <laughs> I, really, it's, I, I really don't have, like, time to really chill, and people will, be like, you need to sit down, like, you need to relax. And I was like, I can't, bro. Like, I, I really, I, I don't have, I can't really sit down, I can't really chill, I can't relax because we have something that we're building. Just like I was saying earlier, it's like, it's generational. So if I stop now, I know it's, of course, I'm a human, I have to rest, but it's just like, I don't know, I just gotta, gotta just keep it going. So I try to look at other artists or people or other uh, fashion brands that I actually like, like, or that I'm a, that I, that I wear a lot. And I just see and mirror what they're doing so that I know what to do when I go out and I do my thing too. Um, it's the most, the biggest challenge for me is really like, uh, I would say like organization, slight way, because I have like so much going on. And um, yes, yeah, it's other people who, who have things going on too, or who's a part of the group too, but it's like, I feel like it's kind of hard to give. Um, give the job to somebody else right. because I feel like if they don't do it the right way or something like that, it's like, it's kind of like, okay, you're kind of messing it up a little bit. <laughs> um, um, you know, I might have to go, you know, it's like, right. it's, it's just, yeah. it's a whole, it's a whole bunch. So just like staying organized is like the hardest thing, but it's also teaching me 
how to be organized at the same time. So it's like the things that you struggle with is also going to teach you, you know, how to be how to be better how to be better in those areas. So, so it's good in this. So what does success look like 10 years from now? What are you thinking? Hmm. I haven't done 10 years from now. What's uh, the five? That's kind of that's that's kind of hard. I've done two. <laughs> I've, I've done two. I've done two. <laughs> um, and it's more of like it's just like a like an everyday process. I just try to make goals every every day. Mm -hmm. So it's like taking it step by step, and I'll eventually get to where it was. So Ruth talked about you know, how this program wants to make an impact in San Francisco, right, in public housing and communities of color, you know, how to close that wealth gap that exists in San Francisco. Do you have any thoughts about that to build on what she shared? I go into it a little bit, like, what do you mean? Well, you know, so Ruth talked about that one of the reasons that she wanted this entrepreneurship program to come to San Francisco, right, is because there is a wealth gap that exists mm -hmm. and that people of color are being pushed out of the city. Um, and that even though the city itself is growing so wealthy, there is such inequality and homelessness and you know, people not really feeling like they have a stake in their own city anymore. So I just wanted to see if you, you know, have thought about that or you have anything to add to what she said about it. I can't like stress it enough. I feel like it's really, if we, if we take more like of an understanding of what's going on, because young people they don't want to deal with like having to go and see about how and like and like see about like finding like people don't want to young people don't want to go through that. They want to deal deal with like they just want to have fun. Mm -hmm. And if you take away just like okay, you can't really have fun. And you got to really see what's going on instead of like complain about it. Um, that's like the biggest thing. And knowing how to control your financials, mm -hmm. I feel like that's again like even if you're not even getting into entrepreneurship, I feel like. Even adults struggle with like understanding their financials. I wasn't, I didn't, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I feel like those two things is just like gaining more information on what, what's going on and kind of figuring out what you can do about it or join other organizations that are like f trying to figure out what's, what's going on and how can they be involved in just being involved with stuff like that and understanding. <sighs> like that's the most important to me, I swear. Like yeah. financials. I don't even really like it's cool. Entrepreneurship is like I feel like it's just like the sprinkles on top of the ice cream. On top of the ice cream. It's like it's just a little bit on there. But if you understand, I feel like understanding your financials is like super duper, like duper duper important. Yeah. Yes. So I was going to ask you the same question that Joyce asked, which is the last question, whether you have any advice for people in the audience who maybe want to start those programs or fund those programs or people who are in the policy. I think we heard financials loud and clear. Yes. Helping young people understand that. Is there anything else you would want to say? Financials. Okay. <laughs> I'm so serious. That's like, oh my God. Mindset, okay, that's cool. I feel like mindset is hard to teach because sometimes people just, they just don't have the mindset for it. That's, I don't know if that's not nice to say or whatever the case may be, but some people just really don't have the mindset for it. Some people can't motivate themselves. Like some people just don't have it. But if you can teach, you can teach, I feel like you can teach financials. Financials is not, it is mental, but it's like, oh my God, I, I, I'm gonna just keep saying it. I don't, yeah. It's, yeah, well, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Please thank Molly. Um, and we're going to, um, you're gonna stay up here. We're going to shift and we're going to bring up the rest of the panel and we're going to take some questions.
Two questions back here, one here, and one here. Great. My name is Tamika Montgomery, and I'm... Oh, thank you. My name is Tamika Montgomery. Do you want me to start? Yes. My name is Tamika Montgomery, and I'm very curious to know, what. how have you all been able to engage parents or caring adults, um, guardians, with supporting young people in this entrepreneurial journey? So one thing that we did, um, and again, we partnered with Nifty, I'm Darnella, um, we partnered with Nifty um, to do um, our curriculum and they had classroom competitions, they had several competitions and the first part of the competitions were the classroom competitions. So um, we incorporated uh, local community members, parents, grandparents, siblings, um, we invited them to attend the classroom competitions um, in order to see the work that our members had done. And so that was kind of what we did as far as incorporating family members and things like that into the, the curriculum or the program. Um, but I'm not sure if anyone else has done anything differently. Um, but that's, that's what we've done. Yeah, we've done some targeted outreach to um, a home, let's say. Um, making sure, like we just believe that it's important to engage parents in the process because in certain homes, if a young person doesn't show up, call their mama and they're like, wait, <laughs> I'm gonna find him and I'm gonna make sure he shows up tomorrow. Um, and so that's been really helpful. It's not always the case. Um, as we know, a lot of parents um, need to work and they're not able to to monitor. So, uh, but we do think it's important to, to keep, uh, especially when we think about the minors, the 14 to 17 year olds, we had originally started our work around 18 to 24 year olds. And then um, we got a lot of feedback from community members and from young people to say we need to actually go younger. And that's why we needed to shift and pivot and make sure that we engage parents and families. We are in conversations and we have been from the beginning to partner with Renaissance Entrepreneurship uh, program who we've been partnering with from the start to look at a dual generational approach because they're already serving and training uh, women in public housing. And so what would it be like to, to have, you know, Mally's mom in, in entrepreneurship training or be, you know what I mean? Like they're like, how, you know, it's, uh, I often compare it to literacy. It's like we need to actually make sure everybody in the house can read, right? So that when you're at home and you're having conversations, that the conversation isn't about you know what what new shoes you're buying, right? Those new Jordans, but it's about like how are you saving? Uh, what are you saving for? Um, how much money? Oh, you got paid. How much money are you putting aside? Like that needs to be to Mali's point around financial literacy and financial empowerment. That needs to be a shift in the way we have conversations within families. And I would just echo, I think it's really important to find opportunities to celebrate what the young people are doing. And, and um, one of the ways we do that is through a showcase where they can really um, pitch and share their projects and what they've been working on. And that is something that it's always hugely attended. And we make sure that there's the childcare and dinner and we're feeding everybody and get them together. But um, that has definitely been our, our most successful way of engaging parents um, as they want to be there to celebrate with the kids and see what's happening. Um, you know, and then just the one-to-one -one relationships that you start to build as you're working directly with them. Let me just add one more thought, which is that part of the outreach to parents needs to be about why this is a worthwhile sector. Mm -hmm. 
right? Because, you know, you may have these visions about my kids want to be a doctor, my kids going to, you know, have, you know, this job or that. Um, construction, it's big in most any most big cities nowadays. Um, and so, and you know, these, there's, these are jobs that pay well. And so for then your kids to come home and say, well, I think I'm going to start a business <laughs> and I don't know how many pay for it and I don't know what it's going to be. And, 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 and that may not be the way they say it, but that's the way a parent might hear it. And so part of the effort needs to also be about educating parents to say, these are actually the benefits of this. I have a podcast called Raising Entrepreneurs, and I interview parents with their young people to talk about what the parents are doing to foster and cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset. So that idea, yeah, okay, not every kid is going to grow up to be an entrepreneur, but every kid needs to learn how to think like one. And so how do families cultivate this? Because it's not necessarily in all the schools. So thank you. I appreciate your feedback. It's on iTunes, Raising Entrepreneurs. And we've got a question here. I don't think it's on. I just want to make a quick plug for anyone watching online. Uh, we'll be taking questions from Twitter as well, so just use the hashtag #OpportunityYouth, and we'll be uh, monitoring that. Hi, everybody. My name is Rebecca Nelson, and I'm the executive director of America Solidaria US. And I feel like entrepreneurship is often proposed as a solution to so many young people who are disconnected from, from school and from work. But I feel like it's not necessarily like a one-size-fits-all solution. So I know we heard from several of you this phrase of, of young people wanting to be their own boss. And my question is in part directed at Mali, but perhaps everyone. What is it about being your own boss that's so appealing? And how can we maybe bring some of those appealing elements into a more traditional workplace as well? How can we make traditional employment less disempowering for young people? Disempowering, like, what do you mean? Well, how do we bring that appeal of being your own boss perhaps into more of a traditional workplace? And that question reminds me of that story you tell when you talk about like when you were selling shoes and how you really liked it, but it, and you, you talked about like toward the end of that position, you realized that it wasn't really about you that it was really about that company and that you really, like there was a feeling that you got when you left, like you really liked it and then it transitioned because of how you felt like um, you were treated and that it wasn't really like put, putting money in your pocket or your business so much as you were giving to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, other companies. I think the um, being your own boss is just something that kind of like sounds good to you. So they kind of like rush towards it like, Okay, this is like, this is my stuff. I can tell people what to do and I can do this. I can treat people how they treat me when I'm at work. Um, <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like, I, I really feel like it's nothing wrong with, uh, with having like a regular job. It's more of like the community that the managers or whoever's running the company, how they do it, because people are really, dis like, really disrespectful. When they try to like have you do something, they're like ordering you to do it and it's like, Okay, I understand my work, but there's a way that you, you want me to respect you, so you should respect me also. I know that I'm working under you, but it's also that, like, I'm a human just like you. Like, no matter what type of role that you're playing here, I'm a human just like you. And that was one of my biggest things with, like, working at certain jobs is that I just didn't feel the respect. It was like people carry these titles, and they take them, like, so super, like, extra serious, and it's just like, you're a human. 
just like me, any other day. Like, <laughs> you like to be talked to a certain way, I do too. Like, if, and I understand we have to have something, you know, going on, but in order to do that, you gotta be respectful to people. And that was just my big thing too, is just like, I wanted to, when I, when my business grows, I wanted to grow that certain type of community where, okay, yes, I understand like I'm the, man, I'm the manager or I'm the boss or whatever the case may be, but I'm not about to be talking to you like you a dog and you about to go do this when I tell you to do it just because it's just like, I don't know, it's just more of that community and I feel like it's something, I don't know if you can either, if you can even teach like that within um, like certain work groups because it's just like, I think it's something with like people in general when they finally get a certain amount of power, they kind of take it overboard and not really <laughs> understanding like your title means nothing. Like honestly in real life, it's just like you're human just like I am, so treat me like that. Mm. So that was the biggest thing for me. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon, everybody. My name's Tasha, and I'm with the organization called I for Change, Engaging Youth Entrepreneurs for Change. And um, we recently did some work with Opportunity Youth, uh, ages 18 to 24. And uh, I want to focus on um, engagement and uh, retention. Uh, financials uh, was very important to uh, the youth that we were working with. And while we had a very short program, um, it was about two weeks, uh, <laughs> we still uh, had some challenges with retaining young people. And I think a lot of it, from what I heard back from uh, the young people, was pertaining to finances. So um, although we want to you know, our aim is to teach young people to be self-sufficient. Um, entrepreneurship isn't a microwave process. Um, you're not gonna cook it in 60 seconds and then you're gonna be a multimillionaire, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so my question to the panel is, um, how do you keep young people engaged over the course of the program, whether it's two weeks, 60 days, 90 days, a year? And uh, do you think it's important to uh, include any types of incentives. Definitely. Great. Mm -hmm. So for the six-week program, we're very intentional uh, about including a stipend and making sure that that support is there, um, as well as um, access to if they need additional clothing or other supports. Um, and I would say that, that that financial incentive is really important, um, but it's also an opportunity for us to then engage in that financial literacy conversation of then how do you manage this? How might you leverage the, this money that you now have? How can you invest it? Or what do you want to, um, you know, how do you help grow that? Um, yeah, and that definitely the young people speak up about that. Anytime a program is pitched and somebody says, oh, well, we, you know, we'll ju they'll just come for free, right? Many of them are like, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm at home babysitting my siblings or I'm doing these other things or like I'm contributing to the household. Like I cannot afford to just go to a six-week thing and not bring money back in, um, it's it's critical. I was gonna say that's another thing too, though, is that you know I think the the minute they walk into your door, you already need to be training them around entrepreneurship. So if we ask young people to come to training and not be compensated, what does that say about what their time is worth, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so for our uh, two-month training, we didn't, uh, because it was spread out for so long, um, and a lot of times it would help them get what we would call stabilization jobs, jobs to, you know, the money in your pocket. Um, not play money necessarily, but just be able to have money to survive. 
um, we would give them about $600, $800 for training. Um, but this summer, because we are competing with a lot of internships and because we're adding a lot of experience to it, and ultimately we want them to make, be fully committed, we went to a different uh, way. We went to an hourly rate. So I don't know, you may know better than me, but they're working what, uh, how many hours a week? Like four or five. For a day, so about 20, 25 hours a week, they're getting an hourly wage, which in San Francisco is now 16, 16.50 an hour. Um, and it's part of, we actually have uh, a new employment initiative called Opportunities for All uh, that our mayor, uh, Mayor London Bree just launched, first African-American female mayor in San Francisco's history. And her whole, her whole position is that every young per person needs to be building skills and have access to internships. And so what we did is we married that internship program with this training so that young people are engaged uh, you know, full four, day, four days out of the week building those skills and getting paid an hourly rate. And that has helped with retention, but what also helps with retention is making sure they have supports. Mm -hmm. Some young people were coming from one job to come to, the, to training. They needed, we needed to get them a Lyft or Uber just to be on time because every minute they were not in that classroom, they were losing valuable information. So if we need to, like I said, those are those course corrections. We need to be able to, to move and shake with the needs of the, of the folks we're serving. Yeah, and to kind of like go off of what you both said, we also incentivize in Philadelphia. We pay hourly wages. Um, we also did like business panels, so we would do field trips and things like that. Um, we would also incentivize those trips. Um, and one feedback that we did receive from students is that they wanted credentials mm. around entrepreneurship. Um, so because they like didn't feel as though like when they finished the course, they weren't getting those credentials. That was kind of like a, a retention issue that we uh, experienced as well. So, mm -hmm. I think we've got a couple of hands up in the back. Hi, um, I just want to say I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and uh, Molly, I, I, uh, is it Molly or Molly? I know what you mean. Right on. Okay. <laughs> I'm really impressed by you. Um, and I see, uh, I, I'll say this, I started my business with zero dollars. Mm. Um, <laughs> mine is zero dollars, actually. Um, and I see the tenacity and the spirit in you, and I see you going a long, long way. Um, so I just wanted to say that. Um, I come from maybe a slightly different uh, world um, than many uh, of my friends here uh, in this room, and that is I'm, I'm a radical capitalist. Okay, uh, I, absolutely. Okay, uh, and one of the things, but I'm very, very interested in issues of social justice. And one of the things that I find um, to be a challenge are, uh, for instance, uh, barriers to entry for a lot of young people. They can't cut hair because they've got to spend five thousand dollars getting credentialed yep. to cut hair, yeah. or to braid hair, or to sell lemonade. Uh, and that is across the country, and that shuts out a lot of people. And I'd be interested to get some thoughts um, on occupational licensing and, and your feelings on, on that. Thank you. Go ahead, yeah. yeah so this is um, what I when I said earlier that it's so important to look at partnerships locally to because there's so much that entrepreneurship can add to those growth sectors. Um, licensing and credentials are important. For example, um, for the, our, how, I don't know how folks, how familiar folks are with like WIOA dollars, federal workforce dollars. So I see some hands. 
Um, so a lot of, so most communities have those local dollars. And so what, what, what though, part of, this is all federal funds. Um, so how you are considered kind of a positive outcome is whether or not you are building occupational skills or you have a credential or a permanent placement. So uh, oftentimes you'll have access to something called ITAs, individual training account dollars. And so you can pay for somebody to become a licensed barber or to become to some specialized tech training. So if we think about it, there's already a, a great deal of resources, not necessarily equi equitably distributed across the country. It really is supposed to align with where the unemployment rates are. Um, but if you tap into those dollars, you actually get free training. So here I am now getting licensed and credentialed in this sector. And now, and I didn't have to pay for that, right? And at the same time, I should be getting mentoring. If I know that that's where I want to be, I should be able to connect. I'll use your example as a barber. I should be able to be meeting barbers, uh, folks who have already started their companies, getting that mentorship, getting that support, maybe even part of that training that I got that was paid for me. I should be able to do some hours in a barber shop, getting my, getting my experience. You know, a year from now, I should, or a year or two, depending on the sector, I should be able to have the credential, have the experience, have the relationships, the social capital. Um, and those same offices that often, um, like workforce board, they often um, have uh, access to resources or can give you access to kind of seed small businesses. So really, there's just not a lot of education for communities, for specific communities, low-income communities, communities of color. Um, there's not a lot of education to say, this is what you all have access to. The other issue with it is that oftentimes with these federal resources, you have to, you have to like, there's a menu of criteria you need to follow. And that has also been uh, presented a problem in terms of barriers. So what, there also needs to be partnerships with local providers of these resources to make sure that they are looking at targeting aspiring entrepreneurs who would be committed to something like that? Like they that to say, like I am worth that five thousand dollar investment. Mm -hmm. So my name is Donald Curtis, and um, I really wanted to kind of go into the question about um, working in traditional environments, and you know, what is unappealing. So one of the things that I know is we're human beings, and we love to create, right? So a lot of the business structures that we work within have to fit into a specific like linear kind of approach. One of the things that I don't think we talk about enough is entrepreneurship. And like how do and what organizations you can work within that can provide you the opportunity to actually grow a business within a business or can or create something new within mm -hmm. existing structure. I mean, I had the opportunity to do that in, in various spaces that I work in, but now I run a company and I do that with the people we work with. They create things within what we do, but all our work is produced um, to support community. I just wanted to share that. That was cool. it. Thank you. Thank you. And we have a question right here, and then. Oh. Uh, yes, I'm uh, Ibrahim Mukman. My, my question to Amali: The you you've made a transition from entry level to now you're a facilitator, a leader. Uh, have you had any uh, what do you call it skepticism or pushback from many of the people who are your age, and and, and how do you see yourself? Some of the people you may need to recruit may be older than you. How do you how do you deal with that? I bet I kind of don't answer that question. Like, what do you mean? Are you getting pushed back from other young people, especially older than you? Yeah. No, 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 not really. Um, what do you think? 
Um, I don't know. I don't think, not to say that I don't have haters, but I feel like I'm a likable person. I just, I just haven't attracted haters yet, I guess. I don't know, but most of the people that like I explain what I'm like doing, they're supportive or they either want to know like how did I, uh, how did I get into that? So I either give them information on it or I just you know tell them a little bit about the program and if they want to join. Ooh, the only thing is too is most of the people I do tell they're over 24, um, so they they probably they can't join the program because they're too old. Um, <laughs> but I mean no, I mean everybody's super supportive or they either want to get involved with it. So it's pretty dope. It's pretty dope. Hi, good afternoon. I'm Mike Laidlaw from uh, SKL Associates. Uh, just a little context. I have a millennial and a Gen Z, right? And my millennial is now an entrepreneur. But from he was probably five or six, he always said he's not going to work for anyone. And so I'm starting <laughs> to see that happen now. Uh, that's just uh, how folks are, this is what they're learning, this is how they're growing up, this is how they're conditioned. And so consider that. Uh, that backdrop with the, the fact that the future of work is changing with the convergence of uh, AI, robotics, machine learning. Uh, a lot of jobs are going away. A lot of the, the, uh, the routine jobs are going away. And so when you have that in the mindset of uh, most millennials, uh, well, many millennials and Gen Z, where I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to be independent, uh, what role do you guys think the federal government, meaning the Department of Education and the Department of Labor, should be playing in trying to prepare uh, young folks for the future of work, which is really now? Uh, should, do you think maybe they ought to have at least an entrepreneur class in every high school, if not middle school? It doesn't have to be mandatory, but it should at least be optional. I just don't see how we're so behind as far as preparing uh, our folks with everything else. And, and you guys are doing a wonderful uh, job. I really love what you guys are doing. I think it's great to, to uh, match policy, which is all we do here with reality. And so thanks again. So any comments on uh, that, I'd appreciate it. Say yes and yes to investing <laughs> in, in the education side. Um, I think that there is an opportunity in the career technical education realm especially. Um, and I'm speaking just from the rural experience, but in, um, where only 20% of our students graduate with ADG requirements that they're able to actually go to college. So we're talking about 80% of our student population plus opportunity youth that don't even finish high school. Um, the career technical side is so critical and, and so many of those jobs are their own businesses. But that isn't woven in yet and absolutely should be. those. Um, and I would say programs right now that um, do do a good job with that would be like FFA and 4-H that actually build those skills into things. And in a rural context, that is a resource that we have been able to use. And I see that um, a local family that uh, they had an egg business in high school and then started it and now have like one of the largest free-range chicken businesses in the country mm. in our small county. But they had access to capital. They had the supports and the resources. They had the family. All of those things were there. So again, how do we crack that open and make that opportunity real for all of the kids in the school and um, start it early, as early as possible? Mm -hmm. We have a question here. And then... Good afternoon, everyone, and congratulations on the work you're doing. Uh, I'm Irvin Owens. I'm the CEO of the Cabell Foundation, and I actually do financial literacy. I'm here in Washington. I'm in five states. But my question was, 
Uh, recently, what I've been doing is running into uh, people with disabilities. Okay. So how do you work with the disability youth that you're partnering with? Thank you. I would say for um, one of the things is making sure we're partnering with institutions that have the supports. Um, so the community college system is one that when we're enrolling students in the adult education program, making sure they have access to those other supports. When we're bringing them in, finding out, um, being really intentional about as we do the interviews, what other kind of supports that we need to bring in, knowing that we're only going to be with them for a short amount of time, really thinking ahead of time to say then, okay, so if this young person has um, difficulty with understanding some of the math side of this or you know what are those other supports what kind of um, yeah is there an additional aid or somebody that we can can lean on to to be there we also have youth leads that are in the um, programs with it so also thinking about um, do the young people that are in those leadership roles understand what are some of the more specific needs of young people they can spend a little bit more time with um, and support people with whatever disability that they're um, trying to navigate. And that reminds me of the importance of having at least uh, two facilitators yeah. mm -hmm. in every workshop uh, because when you have, you know, sometimes disabilities present themselves as like anger or um, uh, acting out. So just also thinking about like the behavioral and emotional responses. And so like having, you know, having somebody who doesn't have to stop the entire class and really center on this one person who just really needs to have that other person come and maybe take them out and check in and see what's going on, um, that ha was was definitely a lesson um, that that we try to you know we try to hold moving forward is to make sure that there's a really strong uh, youth to um, facilitator ratio. Speaking of ratios, that was something that was a theme across all of our work as well as keeping the cohorts or the work that you do small, yeah. so you have the time to build those one-to-one -one relationships and really get to understand what you're working with mm -hmm. and what um, kind of other barriers that may not have shown up right at the beginning that you can figure out ways to connect them. Um, but we wouldn't be able to do that if we had 30 kids in a class, right? It's, we've got 12. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Kimberly Pham with Opportunity Youth United from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, Hi to the NYF communities. My question, I had a few elements to touch upon from hearing a conversation. Um, just like the climate of social media and like yeah. is that brought into the curriculum, like relevancy of how entrepreneurs are using those platforms, mm -hmm. um, cultural, um, aspects in the curriculum as well. I hear that you modified a lot of like the language to really fit more of the for the tribal community. Like um, when we see this curriculum, I'm not familiar with any of these institutions or sources who are um, like producing this entrepreneurship curriculum. But when it is out there, when we look at it, how do we kind of are we able to modify? Are we able to talk to those institutions who develop the curriculum to say like? This is like, you know, it doesn't really fit with our culture, like in, in pertain to the, the services or products that the young people want to start. Um, also talking about the different types of entrepreneurship. Um, you have young people who want to actually create programs and sell services and um, actually sell solutions to certain problems. Mm -hmm. And you have young people who want to create um, products and, and different things for different industries. So how, how do the, those conversations kind of come in? Um, 
Molly, I get to kind of see you all the time, and <laughs> she is a dope. She is a dope person. I mean, it's hard to not only be, you know, to run a brand, but be the brand as mm. well. And there's so many different elements to you. So I think you're really humble on all that you do right there. Um, but just the importance of also like talking about marginali marginalization of entrepreneurship, because sometimes in certain cities, like for Philadelphia, a lot of people, they want to, they often like to cook, they want to sell clothes, but you know, people, there, there's other avenues too but also not trying to say like, we don't need another cook. We don't need another chef in this city. So how do we like mm -hmm. kind of frame that right there also with embracing the challenge versus failure? Because I think for young people or for anyone, a loss is a loss. But like, I know once I, I read a meme and it says like every loss is not a loss. Mm -hmm. So just being able to frame that type of messaging to young people like my professor told me, just embrace the challenge. So even like staring away from failure, cause failure is like, once you fail, it's like you feel like you hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. So how does that kind of, that framing comes in to play? So I think I heard three questions. <laughs> right. maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know, no, <laughs> we got can. it, we got it. So um, one is social media platforms, mm -hmm. right? And how young entrepreneurs can be connected to that. Another question was about the different types of entrepreneurship and somehow some types might be marginalized maybe. And the third question was about how to adapt the curriculum to be culturally relevant. So who wants to take the social media? I mean, we, we, teach, um, we teach how to promote on like different platforms and stuff like that. Um, we try not to do so much with Instagram because it's super expensive um, for no reason. And you kind of don't get your, your work out of it. So we kind of shoot towards Facebook uh, a like a lot more and like other uh, platforms too. but. Those are mostly like we try to like uh, do Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and every like other things like that. But it's kind of hard either when they're they're just starting and they don't really have a product or anything to show. Mm -hmm. So we kind of gotta wait until they start um, putting things together in order to like actually make one, a practice one, so that they know how to do it later on for themselves. Um, but yeah. I would say off the media one, we actually did a spinoff this year and our, our media youth voice pathway is doing a um, project called New Media and it's all about how do you earn money online. So they're looking at YouTube and Facebook and ads and um, they're creating the content they start with, they don't have a product in mind at the beginning. So we're teaching the raw skills and letting them, I mean, I've seen them wandering all over campus and it's hilarious, the topics that they're choosing right now. But while they're doing it, they're practicing those skills to really get the good photos and um, high quality video and, and know how to utilize that so that when they do develop their product, they've got something um, that looks really good. Um, the other piece about adapting, um, so the partner that we work with is ThinkPlace and they're an international company that does human-centered design and focuses a lot on social justice work as well. Um, and I would say that you know choosing your partners and really doing some research on which, you know, which um, curriculum or contractor you want to work with. And we um, intentionally work with ThinkPlace because there's a values alignment and that the work that they do, they're learning from us while we're learning from them as well. So they're always looking to iterate and the curriculum we developed here then bounced back and got used in Australia and is across like 16 different school districts now and being used. And then what they learned there, they brought back to us and then we readapted it again. So there's a really nice um, bounce back and forth and I would just encourage to look for those kind of partnerships. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, to kind of like go off of uh, your comment, I think that what I mentioned earlier about being transparent, that was one of the things that we noticed about our curriculum. It didn't work for our members. Um, so we kind of went to Nifty and we told them like, we, you guys gave us a year long curriculum that doesn't work for us. We have to like figure something out. And so then we redeveloped it and we came up with a 12 week program. Um, that didn't work out. So then we did an eight week program. So they were very, you know, transparent. Um, and again, like meeting people where they are. So we, you know, heard from our members that, you know, having like a year long course or an eight week course that was like very stressful for them. Um, and then having the supportive resources available to them as well, you know, um, transportation, um, childcare, food or, or things like that um, to ensure that they're coming to class. Um, but even now, like we, we are going back to the drawing board and trying to like restructure our curriculum, um, just to, to learn from our students, to, to know the challenges and the successes, um, because you know ultimately they're the ones taking the course. So, mm-hmm. and then just on the question, I think we hit everything, but the marginal marginalization mm-hmm. of the sex of the of the different um, sectors, and one of the things we did is that we added in a career coach. So every, I didn't mention that yet, but every entrepreneur has a career coach because the truth is what you're mentioning is true of any sector, even if you're not an entrepreneur. Like, oh, I want to go be a teacher. There's people who are like, oh, you should never be a teacher. You don't make enough money, right? And, um, but, you know, so one of the things we really try to inspire young people is that you should be able to, that it's not just about how much money you're going to make or how lucrative it will be over time, but it's also about what makes you happy, right? Um, So... But that said, a lot of times there is a lack of information. You know, I think somebody mentioned earlier about um, about the field changing. It's going more towards automation. There's a lot more gig economy. It's, gigging is like super popular, and it's kind of where you need to make some some side money. Um, so, so young people need to be given all of the facts. They need to be given all of that labor market information. Right. And so part of our curriculum talks about like research, like you have to do research. You can't just I really like cutting hair. I think I'll just become a barber and then I'll open up my own shop in five years. Like like there needs to be some realistic conversation that needs to be based on actual data and, and, and research. And so. So again, two things. One, having a coach that, t- that, that works all of that with you and to really talk about like pros and cons and to, to really coaching you along the way and being OK with you again, sh- shifting. Like a pivoting to this different direction, um, but also teaching young folks to be able to do that research on their own. Because five years from now, our both local and national uh, labor markets will look very different than it does today in 2000, the summer of 2019, right? And so we need to be able to make sure that folks know how to, 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 to research, to follow those trends. Because even if you have a business, you also have to be able to make those quick and fast course corrections to stay relevant. Right? Or to say, oh, I made a lot of money, it's time to get out and start something else. And so that also has to be uh, part of your curriculum. I think it's all well and good to talk about communication and, mm-hmm. and your pitch and all of that is really important, but also thinking about like long term approach, long term strategies, long term practices. Yeah, I, I cannot echo the research enough. That is mm-hmm. a huge step in our curriculum. And we focus on it quite a, for a good two, chunk, two weeks, in the, even in the six-week program, of researching and reaching out to um, people that are already in the work, to who are different potential allies and partners. So we had a kid who wanted to start a kayak tour business. OK, well, he had to do research with national parks, state parks, um, county, city government, as well as then a one, the one business that owns a tour operating business already. Find out what, you know, what's the potential growth. Where could he get into? What's the permitting? All of that. 
And once he realized that, he figured out that there were a couple more barriers. So he figured out a, a different way with um, loaning, borrowing people's equipment because the actual cost of buying the equipment was too much to start the business. But he could borrow it from people and then set up using like the Airbnb tour guide side of things. So just the workarounds. But he wouldn't have done any of that without the research. And now he's a 16-year-old with the skills to do that research. Yep. That's, a, that's something we did actually uh, this time in this cohort that we brought people who, um, who the youth, like the businesses that the youth were involved in, we tried to find people who can actually come in and speak to them and tell them the information about the business that they're already into and um, just give them a little bit of more, like more of an insight on like things they're going to be looking forward to while they're jumping into this business. Thank you. And you've been waiting so patiently to ask your question. Go ahead. <laughs> Good afternoon, all. Um, my name is Marcus, and uh, I just want to say very productive uh, conversation that you guys had. And I just want to ask uh, Molly a question: uh, Do you believe that, uh, in the art sense, that uh, music and fashion go hand in hand, or? Oh, definitely. Okay. And yeah, definitely. That's where a lot of the trends are set. A lot of the old stuff, like uh, that people used to wear, like back in the day, they're bringing it back out because people are showing up in videos or taking pictures, yeah. wearing a lot of that stuff too. So, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Can I get one of them shirts though? I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. Yeah, I like that. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We gonna we gonna talk. We gonna like All right. Boom. There it is. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Dewan. First of all, thank you for a lovely panel. Um, and my name is Dewan Patterson. And I'm from Baltimore. Represent the mayor's office as well as doing a lot of uh, consulting work with youth. I would like to say um, congratulations and thank you, Molly, for the work that you're doing in breaking generational curses. Because one thing you mentioned earlier I think is real powerful that we shouldn't skip over is when you come from a community or family who aren't traditionally entrepreneurs, sometimes it gets challenging. Mm -hmm. And I want you to um, enlighten us on how important it is to have access to mentors mm. or cheerleaders that have a, a similar mindset that you're mm. now embarking on this journey of being an entrepreneur being a boss and being a leader who's representing not only your family, your community, but a generation of uh, new entrepreneurs. So please um, provide us with some more insight on that. Um, I mean, I think somebody said it earlier. You, you don't know what you don't know. I think you mm -hmm. said that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're getting into something, you can read all you want about it. But if you're not outside doing it yourself, it's like, OK, you, you stuck. Sometimes you get stuck at certain points. Um, I didn't know where to go to get my business license. I couldn't ask my uncle. I couldn't, like I said earlier, I couldn't ask nobody, but I had a mentor that knew uh, where I can go to do it. I didn't want to do it online because I, I just didn't like the fact about doing it online. And um, they told me I can go to City Hall. I was like, wow, it's so, it's so simple. It's so hard. Um, <laughs> and I just I did it through City Hall. Um, and it was just like, I don't know, just having the people to actually go to, like, that you can actually speak to, it's just like, it's super important besides just going to read it. Because you can read it all you want. You might not, you can take that information, you might forget it, whatever the case might be. But if you don't have somebody with you like that you can ask questions to, then it's kind of hard to like have a vision for what it, what it really, or to see that it's possible. So I don't know. Did I answer it or did I, did I go into depth with it a little bit? Hey, okay. All right, for sure. All right, so we're going to take uh, three more questions. Um, if folks raise your hand, then we'll take them all three at the same time, and then we'll see who on the panel wants to tackle each question. So okay. I have a hand here and in the back, and two, two in the back. Oh, and you have the mic already. So uh, you with the mic, and then you and in the back, all the way in the back. 
Hi, uh, my name is Kalila Johnson. I am a CEO of Undefeatable University, and I just want to just tell you, I am just so privileged to be in the room. Uh, this is so much uh, very wonderful information, and I am even more privileged because I get to take my young CEO, who I'm intentionally <laughs> cultivating to be uh, to be a owner, and um, he is the new CEO of Chess Quotes. As we are getting those things together, um, the question that I have for the panel that um, I have one for you, Molly. I hope I pronounce that right. <laughs> okay. Um, the question I have for you is: Can you please help my young CEO to explain to him some key things that he can take away from this? experience as far as it's very a, a lonely road for an entrepreneur and um, how important it is to have um, who he should align himself with, yeah. um, how important it is also um, what he does with his free time, how important it is to keep that um, motivation, how you yourself keep that motivation when you are feeling unmotivated, um, when it doesn't show, the benefits don't show right away, and, and also for the panel, um, what steps should he take in the beginning, he has his idea, we're working on his business plan, we understand that he's not just doing this for himself, but he is cultivating a, a project that he intends to lead into a franchise for underprivileged youth so that he can help and give them back. Where should he begin and who should he uh, partner with at this stage? Right. So question about advice, uh, let's hold that and then you have. Hi, my name is Susan Pacerno from the Office of Disability Employment Policy at the Labor Department. And we, um, I had a question about access to capital. You, you um, mentioned it briefly, but do you have any strategies for uh, getting more access to capital for folks who are, you know, don't have a lot of access to begin with? So access to capital, and then we had a hand up. You sir had a question? Yeah, my name is Wilson. The mic, the mic is coming. Good afternoon, my name is Will Smith, Executive Director of Bel Air Edison Neighborhoods Incorporated in Baltimore. Um, so my question is, uh, to keep a program going like you're involved in, and programs I've been involved in, which is we are all knock, knocking on the door of funders to sustain those programs. Mm -hmm. Those funders always want to see measurable outcomes and numbers. We know when we work with you from a grassroots perspective, it's not always about numbers. That's not where you always see success. So can you give me some idea of creative ways to tell our story better and um, how to get those funders to see success with you through a different lens? Mm, okay. So our three final questions. One is advice for a young emerging entrepreneur. Um, one is on, um, again, going back to seed funding and how we support young people who want to be entrepreneurs. And one is working with funders and telling your story, which I think is something we're all <laughs> grappling with. Um, Molly, do you want to get us started on advice? Honestly, um, for number one, like the people, I feel like the people you have around you is like super important with starting that. Um, Either they're involved in what you're doing or they're just super supportive of you, just period. Just, just having people that support you, um, those are like the two biggest things. Um, I stay motivated. I don't know how I do it. Like, I know sometimes I wake up, I'm like, oh man, I'll find like some type of motivational video or something to watch on YouTube. I do that a lot. Um, I read books. Um, I mean, 
Yeah. Or and also just having a mentor. I feel like mentor mentorship is like super important too. Like somebody who can check in with you on your goals and just make sure that you're like you're staying on track with you with, with, with what you said you were gonna do. Mm -hmm. um, I think just just those like three things. Like having people that support you. Um, having people around you that are involved in what you're doing and just trying to find like your way to stay motivated. Everybody gets motivated differently. Some people go work out, some people do a lot of different things. So yeah, free time, I mean, I don't know. I don't know with, with free time. Like sometimes it's cool to like sit and like enjoy yourself and like bring yourself back um, to rest and things like that. Um, but you know, you just gotta stay focused on the goal as much as possible. Just don't kill yourself. That's, that's all it is. And I just want to add on that, that not every investor is somebody that gives you money, right? And so there can be people in your life that you're asking to invest in you and your ideas and your dreams, but, it's a, but instead of asking them for money, you're asking, it could, be, it could be mentorship, it could be what we call accountability partners. Mm -hmm. Like who in your life is an accountability partner? And, and that is, an, is a role that you need to set up from the very beginning. That it needs to be somebody that's like, that you say, look, when you see me you know, getting off track, I need you to pull my card and tell me that you see me getting off track. right? I'm not going to be mad at you because I asked you to do that for me. right? So, so having that relationship set up up front is very, very important. Because sometimes it's, it's a mentor and sometimes it's not. Because a mentor can't be the one that's around you. There's, mentorship looks real different. It could be like, an, like a mentor you just connect with on business-related items, because they, they are further down the path than you are. But then you know what, what you're talking about, I think, what I'm talking about, for sure, is somebody who is going to um, invest time and, 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 um, and energy. And be brutally honest with you. Yeah, and, that's, and, so, and that has to be set up, because if it's not set up that way in advance, then you might feel some type of way when they get at you like, <laughs> like that, right? Um, and then to the question about 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 um, access to capital. So um, again, we this is probably the hardest way to do it. Uh, we did it through a policy that was passed. It's not impossible. Um, you could uh, look at passing some sort of local policy that creates a fund um, for something like youth, you know, capital to business for young people. Um, that's very, that's very, that's going to be very much based on your like local context, right? Like you would know whether or not something like that would pass in, in your local jurisdiction. Um, but most cities do have something, it may change, the name may change, but like a business services department and, and usually folks out of that office could be useful, not necessarily in terms of access to money, it could. Um, I know in our city there was access to resources so that small businesses can stay alive. Um, but again, you know, one of the one of those benefits of being from a well-resourced city, right? Uh, it's just a matter of who has access to that, who knows to go to the, your local business services department. And then um, this is I'm least familiar with this, and I wonder if anybody else on the panel is. But um, there's often um, like these kind of I don't I don't want to call them like kind of like lending groups, like groups that um, kind of pull resources together to invest in their, in let's say a, one of their partner's um, uh, business endeavor. And it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, lending, kind of loaning, um, but it's, and I'm butchering it right now, and I would encourage folks to look it up, but it's really um, helpful in communities where you're, excuse me? A mastermind group? 
No, it's it's basically it's it's basically a, a community of folks who are in partnership with each other, who pull resources together, um, and and you know can um, you know you're paying back these resources, but you know you're not as opposed to going to some sort of financial institution that would charge you an arm and a leg of interest, right? Um, and again, those are those are going to be place based for the most part, it's based on relationships. Somebody may have something to add on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our it's last very cultural. Our last question was about telling the story to the funders and making sure that we have sustainability and growth, right? Yeah. Let's not. So does someone want to tackle so that? So for us, well, I kind of wanted to like give um, a suggestion to the gentleman in the back. Um, it's been said that like the job of an entrepreneur never ends. Like you're always working, so you technically don't have any free time. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. But then to answer your question, Will, um, we invited um, our funders to our classroom competitions. So although we initially started off our class, one of our centers, we started off with like 10 or 12 uh, members. By the time we finished the eight-week course and got to the competition portion of the course, we only had two people in this center. Um, and so two people presented their, their presentation, but people still got to see the work and see what they put forth. Um, and so I think that that would be a great way just to show the work. Um, because like you said, it's not always about the numbers. You know, the outcome is there regardless of how many, you know, people are, are in the course itself. Um, so I think that that would be very beneficial. Michelle or Ruth, yeah, I would say with the funding side, um, also depending on what your funders are focusing on. So for me, I've got funders that are looking at um, both the broader kind of system that we're setting up for entrepreneurship as well as specific programming. So for the broader system, I would highly encourage funders to take a look at um, measuring things like how many systems and policy changes are actually happening, not just the numbers of people reached. Because that, especially for rural communities, is where if you look across um, our work, we're leading the state in our initiative around system and policy change in our rural community and really um, embedding the work. Um, but if our funders only looking at how many people we're serving, we're never going to compete on that level. Um, and then the other one would be to really make sure that you're connecting the qualitative, like the heart pieces with those numbers. Um, I think often we get so wrapped up in the numbers and the data. And that's something with the human-centered design work that we do in the research. It helps us bring out those stories and really make sure that the people in the community are telling the story and talking about their experience. So I'm not telling the funder what's happening, right? We're connecting them directly to people's experience. Thank you. We're going we're gonna to close up for today. Thank you, all of you, for being with us today, um, those of you who are here in the room and those who joined us by live stream. And thanks to all of our, our panelists who, uh, yeah, um, who are doing fantastic work, uh, and also many of whom traveled a, quite a long way in some cases to be here with us today. So thank you for sharing our time with us, because we know it's precious. Um, I just wanted to say a couple things quickly as we close. One is stay tuned for more from us on this. Um, as you hear, we're, we're all still, you're all still working on this and we're still learning with them. Um, we are going to be continuing to do work to sort of track and document what these three communities are doing. Um, and as Yelena mentioned at the opening, we're also building a, what we call a community of practice with other collaboratives in the, in the Opportunity Youth Forum 
community that are, um, that are also embedding entrepreneurship into the work that they do. Um, so there'll be more from us on this. Um, and then specifically about today, the, those of you who, are, who joined us today will also get a link, uh, I think in the next day or so, to the recording for this event. So please feel, to share, feel free to use it to promote this idea, share this idea with others um, who you think need to learn about it. And thank you again for being with us. Take care. Thank you. Okay, nice. All right. <laughs>